it's time for you all to wake up and shift your paradigm. This world is the kingdom of darkness and we are living in its last days. It won't be long before the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat and the earth and everything therein shall be burnt up. The Luciferian elite have been setting up the new world order and now they've established the globalist beast system for the rise of that wicked one and revealing of the man of sin who comes after the workings of Satan. Don't take my word for it. Read the Bible and you'll know that perilous times shall come in the last days and we are in the last days. goes back to the destiny thing and I made a bargain with it you know a long time ago and I'm holding up my hand what was your bargain to get where um, I am now should I ask who you made the bargain with <laughs> with, 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 with you know with the chief uh, chief commander on this earth <laughs> and on this earth and in, uh, and then in the world we can't see. I'm going to go through a bunch of stories about magic in the Bible. I'll show you what it's capable of, show you its limitations, show you what people use it for, show you how people get power to do magic, and we'll just go through the Bible like that. You see a lot of magicians today, and oftentimes a lot of magicians, they just kind of, not that we watch magicians anymore, but you know, from what I knew before I was saved, they just kind of have like tricks, right? You know, they do things and it kind of just seems like it's happening, but it's really not happening. And, and they kind of just, they fool people essentially, but their tricks are easy to figure out, right? It's, it's, oh, they did this by doing this. They have like a secret trap door or, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is. They have another double that ends up up top. But some magic that can't be explained is real. And there, obviously not every magician in the world has gotten to this level, but most people just, you know, like I said, the, the regular magicians, they kind of just, you know, try to fool people with, with their work. However, there are magicians that we can see from the Bible, and I'm sure it hasn't ended because nothing from the beginning to the end is, has ended. You know, there's still people who are doing magic, just as it was in, the, in Moses' day, and there's still people worshiping God, just as it was in Moses' day. So, I'm going to show you what real magic, you know, like I'm talking about Satan, Satan's hand type of magic, you know, magic that comes from devils or spirits and that type of thing. And we'll look at some stories in the Bible of people who were capable of doing things that would astonish others, but how they got those powers, what are their limitations, what is God capable of, you know, what, what does God do? So if you look at Exodus 7, it says in verse 10, and Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. So these stories are coming from the plagues that God puts upon Egypt. So at a certain time in history, God said that he was going to plague Egypt and harden Pharaoh's heart so that he could show his mighty wonders through Moses and Aaron. And what he was going to do show his power through Moses and, and Aaron so that all the world would know that he was the God of, of the earth. And so what he does is he gives Moses and Aaron some commandments and he essentially tells them, you go do this before Pharaoh and this is what's going to happen. And he explains it all to them. So every time they show up before Pharaoh, they know what's going to happen. They know what they're going to do. What God shows through Moses and Aaron is the fact that he has great, great power. But what we also see is the capability of magicians. So let's look at Exodus 7, verse 10. 
It says, And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. So one of the things that God does to prove to Pharaoh that he's God is that he casts down, uh, he, Moses tells Aaron, so the way it worked is God would give um, a commandment unto Moses, and Moses would be, what God said is, you're gonna be like a God unto Moses in the sense that you're like my direct voice. You're gonna tell Aaron to do something and he's gonna do it. It's as if Aaron is your prophet. So Moses would get the commandment from God. They'd go in unto Pharaoh. He'd tell Aaron what to do and Aaron would do it in front of him as if, you know, like Moses isn't doing anything, but he's kind of like, saying, Aaron, do this. And it, and it looks like, you know, it's all coming from Moses because God wants everybody to know that Moses is his, his face on earth. You know, essentially, he's telling Moses, he's guiding Moses. Moses is who you go to when you need to speak to the Lord. So Aaron casts down his rod and it becomes a serpent. It becomes a snake. And Pharaoh doesn't really get phased by this. You know, if today, if we saw somebody take a rod and throw it down in front of us and it changed into a snake, we would be, you know, astonished. But why is, why is um, Pharaoh not astonished by this? Well, if you keep reading verse 11, it says, then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod and they became serpents. So notice the magicians of Egypt had the same power that Moses had to do, right? They, but they used enchantments, right? How are they getting this power? How are they getting this, these enchantments? Well, they have to do certain things for the devils and the devils give them that power because spirits have power. They have power to do things and the devil has power to do things. So, so that's why Pharaoh is not faced. If you notice, Aaron and Moses cast down the rod and it becomes a snake and Pharaoh goes, come here magicians and they do it. But if you notice at the end of verse uh, 12, it says, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. So what that shows is, yes, the magicians had the same capability as Aaron. You know, they both, they also could make their rod a serpent, but Aaron's rod was the strongest serpent, right? His, his snake swallowed up all the snakes. It's kind of like God showing, you know, yes, you have a similar power in this instance, but my power is still greater, and he swallows up all the rods. But this is a this is God. What he does with the plagues is he increases in difficulty. Like the first the first wonder he shows um, Pharaoh, it's something simple. But to us, obviously, who have never seen anything like that, that would be that would be incredible. But Pharaoh has magicians who worship the devil, and they have special powers, so he's not faced by this. Let's see what God says about magicians and en enchantments. We'll go to Leviticus 19, because, you know, to some people, not I'm not saying anyone here, I'm saying to some people that kind of power may seem enticing. You know, God doesn't give that power to anybody, and he doesn't give it often. Obviously, this was a one-time deal. God was trying to show his power through Moses and nobody else in Israel had this power. It's not like all Christians can just do whatever they want. God told Moses he was going to show his power this one time so that the whole earth would believe. And they had to tell that. He also told Moses to tell that story to every generation forward because he's not going to do it again. So, but it may seem enticing to people who want like power now, you know, they want to do tricks, they want to do this, you know, they want to um, deceive with enchantments and those types of things. Well, if you look at Leviticus 19, it says in verse 31, regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. That's why Christians should never go to like a magic show. That's why Christians should never go to psychics, right? Yeah, psychics. So those psychics and fortune tellers, those types of people, God doesn't want his people to go to them because they have familiar spirits. They, are, they have devils, flames, the way, and sometimes, you know, they'll tell you something and it ends up right. And people will ask, well, they'll ask me, you know, how did that person know that this was gonna happen? Well, the reason I'm doing the sermon is so you can understand that. They have a devil and devils have power. Devil, ha and their power, we'll, we'll get to this. It's limited, but it's, 
to cast a rod down and make it a snake, it's not, it's not nothing. You know, it's, it's, not any, it's not nothing. So being able to tell a few days in the future what's gonna happen, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, maybe they know the future. Maybe they do. I'm not saying they don't. They could be 5,000 times smarter than we are, you know, and be able to predict things that we could never even think of. So it looks like they're future tellers, right? And I'm talking about devils here. You know, obviously Satan, if he, if God said he was the, God said he was like the smartest, best music, bet and best musician. If Satan is like a, under God in, in smartness, and I'm not saying he even comes like if God would be all the way up in the sky and Satan would be on the ground, but everybody else is under Satan. So if Satan's on the ground, we're, we're all the way down in the dirt. You know, we, no one has any knowledge even comparable to Satan even though God's knowledge outdoes all them, every, everyone else. So, so Satan's capabilities are, are massive. They're more than anybody else ever. No, no spirit, no, no person, anything. So he, his, his ability is, is great, but nothing compared to the Lord. So if you go to uh, Leviticus 20, verse 6, it says, And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a-whoring after them, I will set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. So this means two things. One, if you seek after like a wizard or a familiar spirit to get answers, or to become, to get yourself a familiar spirit so that you have this power, even though it's not yours, it's the devil giving it to you. God is then against you. You become God's enemy. So as a Christian, you should never go to somebody who has a familiar spirit. That's a psychic, that's a magician, that's any of those people that are getting their power from something else. Because then you're, you're going against the Lord. Exodus 7 verse 20. It says, And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river, and in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river turned to blood. So God's next plague is that he tells Moses to smite the water so that all the water in Egypt becomes blood. It goes from water to blood. And it's a mighty miracle, right? The whole, all of Egypt becomes blood, all the water. But Pharaoh still isn't impressed because if you look in the next verse, it says in verse 21, and the fish that was in the river died and the river stank and the Egyptians could not drink up the water of the river and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. So notice, because Pharaoh can see his magicians doing these things and because the Lord's hardening his heart, the way that the Lord's hardening his heart is by letting the magicians do, as, and as he does with everything else. God allows things to happen sometimes so that people seal their own fate. But Pharaoh's not impressed because the magicians can do that. They, they see water and they turn it to blood. They have that power also. And I'm not saying every magician in the world can do this. I'm saying these magicians, which had heavily worshipped the devil and asked for power and received in power and did enchantments, the way that they did those enchantments, it's not specifically laid out in the Bible, but I'm sure they had, and I will go over some things that are laid out in the Bible, but I'm sure they had to do something to get that power. They're not just like, oh, can I have that power? And Satan's just like, yeah. No, Satan is going to ask something of them. They're going to have to do something. I'll show you what it is. But the purpose of this is to deceive others. If you remember in Matthew 24, when we went over Revelation, Jesus says that there will be false Christ and false prophets that will show many signs and wonders that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. How do they do signs and wonders? Through this type of power. You know, this would deceive somebody, right? Let's say you have somebody who's fresh, doesn't believe in any God, but wants to. And you go out to them and say, you know, I know the true God. And you, th you throw a rod down, it becomes a snake. A magician could easily deceive somebody, no problem. And that's what they're gonna do in the end times. They're gonna do even greater miracles than this. And it's going to deceive people into thinking that they have the right religion because they get power. Thank you to uh, Satan for giving me inspiration. Let's go to Exodus 8. It says in verse 5, 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams and over the rivers and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up out of the land of Egypt. So this next plague that we're looking at is Aaron stretches forth his rod and frogs start coming up out of all the rivers and, and lakes and everything. So imagine any body of water you see, there's just like millions of frogs just walking out of it. And obviously it's very grievous to the land of Egypt and they're all sad and they're all upset about it. And obviously God's miracle, like the magicians of Egypt couldn't make the whole land of Egypt turn to frogs like be covered in frogs. Only God could do that. But they still, if you look, verse 6, And Aaron stretched forth his hand, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. So look, they're still capable of doing that. They're bringing up frogs as well. So Pharaoh's not even phased by this yet. And obviously, like I said, God's miracles God's plague was better it, it was it was greater but the magicians still had the same capability if you look at um, 2nd Kings 21 I'll show you what are some of the things that they have to do to receive this capability and he made his son pass through the fire and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards, and he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So one of the things that the devil requires, or certain devils require, is that you sacrifice your own kids in the fire. So they're not getting these powers for nothing. They're doing it, and they're getting it by doing these wicked acts. You know, much wickedness. I'm sure they, that wasn't the least of their, that was just one of the things that they had to do to receive this power and enchantments. So it's not like a, it's, it's not a small price to pay to receive this power on earth. But like I said, that's just on earth. Then when you get to the end times, God's gonna judge you for it and you're gonna go to the lake of fire. On, that's worse than all of it, worse than anything. So that, that's one of the prices is, is you know, what you have to do just for these devils. let alone the price that God makes you pay. If you look at Isaiah 19, it says in verse 2, And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they shall fight everyone his brother, and everyone against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the counsel thereof. And they that seek to idols, and to charmers, and to them that have familiar spirits, and to the wizards. And the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel lord. And a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. So not only did they get that punishment, from you know whatever they have to sacrifice to the devil they also get punished by God you know lands that fully worship evil God punishes them and like he said all the Egyptians were gonna be under the hand of a cruel ruler that God was gonna set up and he was gonna make them you know imagine having the worst king in the world and kings had way more power than presidents have now they could make anybody do anything by force so that's God's punishment. So obviously the price is not worth it, is what I'm trying to explain here. They have a, a very high price to pay for this little miracle, this little power. But let's go to Exodus chapter 8. What I was saying earlier, there is limits to their capabilities. Obviously they don't have unlimited power. They can't do everything because only God can do everything. So I went over some things that they can do and those are wonders, right? Those are miracles. If you saw somebody just make a frog leap out of the water, you know, hundreds of them, or saw somebody turn water to blood, or saw somebody turn a rod into a snake, that would be a wonder. You would wonder at that in amazement. But we've, we get to a point where God, like I said, God was just slowly amping up things. And, and the, the reason he did it like that is because he, he doesn't want to just come in with the, with the end punch, right? He's like, he's like jabbing them and jabbing them and jabbing them. And then he gets to a point where he's like, okay, you're, I'm trying to show you that I'm God. You know, I'm trying to prove to you that I'm the Lord. And then, and he doesn't want to hurt them too bad at first, right? He's, he's like, you know, I'm just going to warm up with this. And he knows he's going to have to do all the plagues. He, he even tells Moses before it happens. He says he's not going to let you go until you do the last one. But he's just warming them up. And by the time they get like midway through, 
Some of the Egyptians even believe it's uh, that, you know, they're, they're astonished. So this is where, this is the point we get to where in Exodus 8, verse 17. And they did so, and Aaron stretched forth his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast, and all the dust of the land became lice throughout the land of Egypt. So Aaron takes his rod and he smites it on the floor and all the dust of the land, you know, Egypt has a lot of dust. It's not, you know, think of all the roads, all the, just all the land in general becomes lice immediately. So all, think of, you know, when you're just walking on the dirt, imagine all that dirt turned to lice immediately. Everything would be covered. And that's a, that's a mighty, mighty miracle, right? That's something that is be incredible. If you're walking out and then you just see all the sand and just immediately turn to lice, like, and, and it just starts crawling on you, as it says, it's on man, it's on beast, it's on everything. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there was lice upon man and upon beasts. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he hearkened not unto them. So notice, even the magicians realize at this point that these people aren't just playing tricks like we, we do. They're not worshiping some random devil. They're worshiping the God of the earth. The magicians realize that they've been outdone. You know, they are sacrificing their whole life and family and kids to these devils, and they've only been given so much power. They realize that, oh, this is the real God. You know, this is the capability of God. And that's just like, that's like plague number four or five. You know, he, there's so much more to come. You know, there's locusts to come. God kills all the firstborn of Egypt. It's just like, it's, it, it gets bigger and bigger to the point where all of Egypt wants, wants Israel to leave. And this sermon should just give you some knowledge and understanding on like, there's people, and especially even people who claim to be Christian, you know, right? They, people who claim to be Christian who could have sold their selves, their souls, their kids, whatever, for that kind of power into deceiving people to believe whatever they believe, right? That's an explanation for you, you know? That's, an, that's so you have understanding, like, can a person really be capable of this? Yeah. People who have done wickedly and, and given themselves to familiar spirits have capabilities. But, as I read this verse, we should have comfort in the fact, 1 John 4, 4, it says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So yes, the, he that is in the world, the devil, has plenty of power, and he can do wonders, in the, but God can do so much more. God has so much more power than the than the magicians. God has so much more power than the devil. It, it, they only got like 20%, 30% through the plagues before the magicians had to tap out. You know, God had so much more to do and he was just doing that because he knew their capabilities. Daniel 1, you'll see another example of this. And it says in verse 17, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all manner of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. So you notice, when God gives wisdom, it doesn't matter how much of man's wisdom you try and accumulate. Somebody could like study their whole life and sell their soul to the devil and get all the wisdom that they could think that they have. But even in the end, the king of those magicians say that these four people from Israel have 10 times more wisdom than any of you that have been studying this your whole life because God gave the wisdom. So magic may seem enticing, you know, power may seem enticing, but the most enticing thing is to be on the side of the one that has the mo all of it. He has all the power to do what the magicians do, and then 50 times more. One more example is in 1 Kings. 
says in verse 25, And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it, for ye are many. And call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped on the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he's pursuing, or he's on a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after the manner with knives and lancets till their blood gushed out upon them. That was like a way that they sacrificed to Baal. You know, they, they cut themselves and bled on the altar. They can't do anything, right? They call upon their God. They, they're asking for fire from heaven and nothing happens. And they're cutting themselves. They're sacrificing. They're doing all these things. Nothing happens. Elijah mocks them and says, where's your God? He may be sleeping. And then in verse 36, it's Elijah's turn. And he says, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that the people know that thou art the Lord God. Before we continue, I just want to point out one little thing. So you notice how like Christians today will say that the Lord did this through them and or you know somebody that oh God gave me a vision and this is what notice what he says what Elijah says it says Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Israel let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word so Elijah's not going on his own and and just like saying he's gonna do random miracles that he thought up on himself God told him beforehand, this is what I want you to do, this is what's gonna happen, and this is why you're doing it. People think that, like today, that they're just gonna go and walk and just be like, you know, I'm gonna do this miracle, because Elijah did it, he called, he called on God and, and God showed up when he needed him. But he only called on God because God told him beforehand and came to him first and said, I need you to go do this, and this is what's gonna happen. So. God gives the, the miracle and the, the thing to the person. And Elijah was not a prophet like anybody today, you know. He did things, and I've gone over this in other sermons, that no other pe person in the world would be willing to do, you know, for the Lord. And that's why he's allowed to do this miracle. So let's keep reading. It says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. So people may call on, you know, these familiar spirits, these gods, but obviously we can see through the Bible that they have no power comparable to what the Lord has. But don't get me wrong. This, the sermon, this point of the sermon was not to show you God's power, it's to show you the capability of people, wizards, you know, of magicians, of, of wickedness, and warn you to stay away from them, because they're dealing with devils. And if you go and deal with them, by association, you're dealing with devils. So last verse I'm gonna go over is in 1 John 4. It says in verse one, Beloved, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So well, what John is trying to explain here is that there's going to be people that can do mighty things, things that would just make you believe, right? And God warns us all the time, don't believe people based on these things that they can do, because I can do more. And the only way to know if a person is, is you know, following the Lord or not, he gives us the answer. It says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come of the, in the flesh is of God. So it doesn't just mean that, you know, if somebody says that uh, Jesus, you know, was a person, that Jesus just lived one time, because there's a lot of Catholics in the world, billions of Catholics, that believe that Jesus existed. And there's billions, you know, millions of Mormons, there's millions of Jehovah Witnesses, and they believe that Jesus existed, and they believe that he walked on earth. But what this verse is saying is, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, so when we hear Jesus Christ, we think of a name, but when the Bible says Jesus Christ, what it's saying is, Jesus 
the Son of God. Because Christ means the anointed one, it means master, it means the Son of God. It means that God himself. When, when the Bible says Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last until name. Until I stumbled across an infamous interview. How are you, sir? We'd just like to ask you about why you don't want to fly commercial. You've got this journalist that is confronting this guy called Kenneth Copeland. You said that you don't like to fly commercial because you don't want to get into a tube with a bunch of demons. Do you really believe that human beings are demons? No, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. Get in a long tube with a bunch of demons. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Copeland is being confronted about his purchase of a Gulfstream jet. And it turns out that that jet is just one of a fleet of jets that he owns, along with a boathouse, a mansion, and his very own airport. This is a preacher that is supposedly worth hundreds of millions of dollars with an enormous following. And you're telling me that he is just one of many. This entire thing is a rabbit hole. Pastor, what is now the largest church in America, weekly sermon watched by more than 10 million viewers on television. The apostles were businessmen. They were rich men, had plenty of money. I'm going to show you that Jesus was a wealthy man, had plenty of money. One of my chandeliers cost more than most people's house. I got 22 chandeliers in the house. They're extremely greedy. They don't need mansions. They don't need jets. God told me to have that money. Any religious leader who speaks the word of God who has more than one suit while someone has no clothes is a cop-out. Yeah, you know, Larry, I just don't see it that way. For $54 million, I want you to imagine how many people could be fed. Oh, ha, ha, ha. How many homeless could have places to sleep? Ha! <laughs> the fresh breath of all. Fresh, 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 fresh! Are you hearing me? <laughs> Televangelism is still thriving in this country. If you were willing to pay the price, you could talk directly to God. When I remember my own personal experiences inside of a church, what comes to mind was definitely not this. Times it's like a concert, and when the preachers come to preach, it's like a celebrity has just taken to the stage. Everyone is worshipping together, they're smiling, they're joined in their faith and devotion. What we're witnessing is something called a megachurch. By definition, a megachurch is just a church that has a larger than average congregation, normally of 2,000 members or above. But when we think of spirituality or, or forms of it, there's normally a distinction between spiritual duty and materialistic desires. Now, I'm not a theologian and I'm not going to pretend to be one, but even I remember verses from the Bible when it came to wealth and, and building riches that it wasn't viewed favorably upon. But if my memory is correct, then what was I witnessing in this interview with Copeland and moreover some of these preachers? So you've got this preacher, Kenneth Copeland, who founded the Kenneth Copeland Ministries along with his wife, Gloria. They own a $7 million home, a fleet of jets, and their Eagle Mountain International Church has a membership in the thousands, not to mention their television and online broadcasting. Then there's Jesse Duplantis, who sat with Copeland as they both justified their purchases of private jets. And then the second one I, I purchased was in January 2004. Benny Hinn, who claims to be able to perform miracles, who fills up stadiums and broadcasts it on networks worldwide. Release it, I'll release it. Joel Osteen, a very popular figure, especially in Houston, Texas, where his church resides, who's authored books that have been on New York Times bestsellers, as well as hosting church services with celebrities like Kanye West. Creflo Dollar, who has created fundraisers for his private jets, whose ministry owns two Rolls Royces and expensive real estate to boot. God is the gateway to the world of wealth. There's this Instagram page, which is called Preachers and Sneakers, and it's literally just preachers next to the cost of the clothing that they are wearing. Something, something just isn't right. I keep asking myself how, right? How is it possible to be this braggadocious about your wealth as a preacher and have your followers who not only are okay with it, but help to fund it? And that was when I found out about the prosperity gospel. What we're looking at is a movement that has seemingly found its way inside of America's biggest megachurches and being taught by its biggest preachers. The Word of Faith movement is its name, and its teachings are often referred to as the prosperity gospel. It's a simple idea. God wants you to be prosperous through your finances, your health, your marriage and relationships. 
In fact, those are things that belong to you through your faith, if you are willing to receive it. The prosperity gospel often refers to its believers as little gods. The idea being that we were made in the image of God and therefore possess a level of divinity within us that allows us to bring into existence the prosperity that we've been promised. You are God's little G. You are God's because you came from God. And your DNA and Jesus' DNA are exact. You're exactly like it. It sounds amazing. So how do I earn this prosperity? How do I access this divine power that I supposedly have? Well, it starts with your faith. But if you'll stay in faith, there will come a point where God will say, enough is enough, it's payback time. The Bible says, I know you love the Lord. So you, you qualify for, for prosperity. Next, you have the act of tithing. The initial concept of tithing was this idea that you give one-tenth of your wealth in some way, shape or form to a religious organization. Most houses of worship are going to rely on the donation of their congregation in order to continue their operations, especially megachurches. It is kind of like giving to a charity. But tithing, through the teachings of the prosperity gospel, introduces a, should we call it a plot twist? Tithing lays the foundation for financial success and abundance. Tithing is the way for recession or depression to bypass you. Here, Stephanie from Maryland writes, I sent in my first fruits offering. Two weeks later, I received, watch this, $2,400. So now it isn't just about donating your money to a church. It becomes a case where you're exchanging your money in return for actual prosperity. You'll often hear some of these prosperity preachers refer to it as sowing your seed. The implication is pretty obvious to anyone who is watching. No, you give us some of your money and in return, that value will be given back to you in some way, shape or form. It's the harvest. I want you to go to the phone or online and sow a seed. Now remember, somebody's son is gonna be set free from alcohol because of your thousand dollar seed. And I'm going to ask you to sow an exceptional and uncommon seed of $1,000. And click on that donation button to sow $1,144. So God is giving you the harvest and the harvest of the seed you sow. You can't expect the harvest if you don't sow seed, spiritual, physical, or financial. It's surreal and it generates a lot of money. On January the 12th of 2008, Kenneth Copeland Ministries took possession of a Gulfstream jet, which was funded all thanks to the donors of his church. In fact, KCM wrote a blog post thanking their followers for helping them, quote, harvest the Gulfstream. But our work is not done. To which the blog then proceeds to remind their followers that they still need 17 million more dollars, which will be used for the quote, sewing towards the construction of a new hangar, upgrading the existing runway and purchasing special Gulfstream maintenance equipment. Or how about Creflo Dollar's infamous sermon to which he tells his congregation to help him fundraise towards a private jet, all to the response of cheers and applause from the audience. If I want to believe God for a $65 million plane, you cannot stop me. You cannot stop me from dreaming. See, Copeland and Dollar's pleas for money, they're not met with criticism and backlash from their congregation. It's celebrated. And prosperity preachers will obviously say that this aids in their quest to spread their message across to different countries. If I flew commercial, I'd have to stop 65% of what I'm doing. Conveniently, that message obviously allows them to make even more in donations. But these preachers, they don't just live lavish, right? They, they put it on full display. You think Jesus Christ would roll around in a Rolls Royce? Uh, I think he would. Let's get a close up of Gloria's ring. Where am I looking? Right here. Um, you fly in a private plane. Yes, I You're do. You're staying right now in one of the fanciest hotels yes, in New York City. Yes, I am. You wear nice very clothes. nice clothing. So... The wealth of these preachers, they're not seen as gross or hypocritical. In fact, they're seen of proof that the teachings work. It's seen as them actually practicing what they preach. The extravagant lifestyle, that's not a mistake or a flaw. It's a feature of the prosperity gospel. Many of these preachers will say that the funds that they received are used only for ministry purposes. Osteen, for example, says that he doesn't receive any salary from his ministry and all the money he makes comes from his book sales. Look, 
in some ways i don't really care if a ministry wants to buy a private jet it looks optically hypocritical but i'd rather let theologians argue over the contradictions that those actions have with actual religious texts i'm more interested in how the money is generated and it doesn't get more unethical of a promise than it does with the prosperity gospel if you're accustomed of giving ten dollars go to 20 go up to 70 80 100 raise that amount and watch what God will do because don't you stop sowing offerings well they won't let us go to church well email it in there text and give or something you get that tithe in that church you get that offering in that church and then you go home and you do what we're supposed to do this idea is no different than the law of attraction and manifestation circles that claim that you can use your mind to manifest any desire that you want. In fact, it's been argued that the prosperity theology does have similar roots to the New Thought philosophy that became popular in America in the 19th century. When I look at Osteen, for example, I don't necessarily see a preacher. I see someone who's more akin to a self-help motivational speaker that uses God as a proxy. I am confident. Take a look, for example, at Osteen's New York Times bestseller book, Your Best Life Now, which is filled with all of these kinds of ideas. So here's a quote from the very first chapter, enlarging your vision. It's not God's lack of resources or your lack of talent that prevents you from prospering. Your own wrong thinking can keep you from God's best. And the book is riddled with these similar messages of becoming what you believe and the power of your words. It's a book like many others in the self-help genre. The connection isn't really that hard to see. But it's this sowing your seed message in the prosperity theology, the idea that you can donate to a church and in return you can you know, pay off your rent, pay off your credit card, that seems particularly stomach churning. And now this is a message that is being exported from America to Europe and Africa. So one of Nigeria's wealthiest pastors is this guy called David Oyedepo, who is said to be worth $150 million. We are not asking you to give so the church can be blessed. We're asking you to give so you can be blessed. Some fellow said, okay, I was worth $150 million. I said, that's an insult. $150 million, that's an insult. $150 million too small, that can't be. Do they know what they're doing? You know, a big part of me believes that Copeland and Dollar, they, they truly believe their intentions are good. Even for hundreds of millions of dollars, I can't imagine someone knowingly deceive and hurt other people without just driving themselves insane in the long run. That type of cognitive dissonance just seems too much to bear. But at the end of the day, I'm never gonna know what their intentions are. You know, I can only ever see what the consequences of their actions are. And trust me, you haven't seen the worst of it yet. Benny Hinn. Hinn is probably most well known for what he calls his miracle crusades. Hinn claims to be able to perform miracles. He'll bring people to the stage with all sorts of illnesses and then with the touch of his hand, they will feel God's power running through them as they fall back and these catchers will catch them as they fall. You had Parkinson's for 15 years. <laughs> oh, thanks for the anointing. Who are you? People in the audience will cheer. There are others who are stood there in awe with their hands raised in worship. And Benny Hinn isn't the only one that does this, right? This is a really common practice amongst the prosperity gospel circles. Glory to God. You're not bound to this chair. The day will come, you'll walk out of it. In the name of Jesus. What is it that we're really seeing here? Is this an actual miracle? I would know that there were certain things that were completely deceptive. Costi Hinn is the nephew of Benny Hinn and he's worked with his family, sometimes as a catcher himself. In 2017, Costi Hinn came forward with a testimony of his time spent in Benny Hinn's ministry. The responsibility is to look really good, look really blessed, sell the narrative, make all the money and say, look at my life. If you give to this, if you follow it, if you obey it, and if you do what I say, God will do it for you too. He described the lifestyle that he had whilst working with his family. We lived in a 10,000 square foot mansion guarded by a private gate, drove two Mercedes-Benz vehicles, vacationed in exotic destinations, and shopped at the most expensive stores. Kosti Hinn really believed in what he was doing. You know, but he only had doubts when he started finding contradictions in what he was teaching and what he was finding in the Bible. 
Grace Brular was eight years old when she was featured on an episode of CBC's The Fifth Estate in 2005, an episode that was specifically investigating Hin's ministry. If you could have a miracle, what would you want it to be? I can walk. Just walk. Is that what you want, Grace? Just to walk? Grace's mother brings her daughter to one of Hin's miracle crusades, and just as she's about to go to the stage, she's intercepted by what are called screeners who tell her to step aside. According to that documentary and an insider, the job of the screeners is to screen out the people that are severely sick and ill. There's the story of Justin Peters, who is an evangelist himself and was born with cerebral palsy. During the Fifth Estate's investigation into Hin's ministry, they attempt to get Peters to go on stage as well, and just like Grace, he is also intercepted by the screeners. Our hidden camera shows Justin being stopped by a screener. Watch as Henry Hin whispers something to her. Then Justin is told to step aside. In another documentary from 2001, HBO were given full access to Hin's events and were even allowed to follow several cases of supposed miracle healings. These are people that actually managed to get onto the stage and, and claim they'd been healed. In one instance, the crew follows a boy called Ashneel and his parents as they're desperate to have their child healed by one of Hin's miracles. We're expecting a miracle. We're expecting a miracle. The Prakash family are recent immigrants to America. Ten-year-old Ashneel is their younger son. Two massive brain tumors have reduced him to a vegetative state. We believe in God. We have faith and there's nothing impossible for God. Later in the documentary, Ashnu's parents actually attend the crusade and they're brought on stage to have their child healed by Hin himself. Hin gets the crowd to raise their hands and then he places his hands on Ashnu's face and says, Expect the miracle. Dear Jesus, the Lord's gonna touch you, young boy. Days after the event and Ashnu still wasn't healed. It didn't happen, I was not even discouraged. I, I know it's God's plan. You know, I can stake my life on Pastor Benny Hinn's words. And God spoke to me last night at the, at the Colosseum Center where the crusade was going on, and he said, donate him another $2,000, and which I'm going to do it, I'm going to do that. Recently, I watched an event from Kenneth Copeland's Eagle Mountain Church, right? It's called Miracles on a Mountain. It's another miracle healing service. And in this instance, it was hosted by this evangelist called Billy Burke. And at one point, someone is brought out from the crowd. And I thought, hang on, I recognize this guy. It was Big Nick, who, for those of you that don't know, was an ex-member of the popular social media group, The Vlog Squad, which is headed by David Dobrik. At the event, Nick tells Billy Burke about his blind eye. I'm, I'm blind in my uh, left eye as well. I know that, you told me that. Billy then attempts to cure his eye. Loosen that! After all the theatrics, Billy then starts to wiggle his finger around. And then... Nothing yet. Nothing yet. And Billy hears that and he, he continues like trying to help him. And then when he realizes it doesn't work, he then just tells Nick, recite chapters of the Bible every night for your eye to be cured. So John chapter 9, your confession starting tonight and every night. You hear me? Tonight and every night before you go to bed. You ready? I was blind and now I see. And the crowd cheers. It's like it's like the miracle actually happened. Now, it's been about seven months since that event took place, and I've looked through Big Nick's social media account, and there's no indication that his eye has healed since the event. So again, what are we witnessing when we see things like this? If we are to believe that these people aren't just actors, which I, I really don't think that they are, what is actually happening? Consider this. If what we're seeing is really a miracle, why don't these people go to hospitals and heal people there? Why do they need the, the lights and the cameras and the atmosphere and the theatrics to be able to do what they do? In 2011, Darren Brown ran this TV special program called Miracles for Sale. In this special program, Darren Brown, who is this self-described mentalist and illusionist, 
takes this ordinary individual called Nathan and attempts to turn him into a faith healer performing miracles in front of an audience. The idea behind the program was to expose the fact that what is happening here are not miracles, that it's just a product of psychology, the power of suggestion and misdirection. Now some aspects of faith healing are just pure trickery. Right? A good example of this is the infamous leg growing trick. The preacher Todd White is well known for walking around the streets and finding individuals who supposedly have one leg that is shorter than the other. And then miraculously, White will begin to grow out that person's leg right before our very eyes. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Left leg, I command you grow. Right now, in Jesus' name. Darren Brown teaches Nathan to do this exact trick because it's not a miracle. The leg growing trick is infamously used by charlatans throughout history. In fact, a quick Google or YouTube search will demonstrate how it can be done in several ways. One of which involves shifting the other person's shoes to make it seem as though a leg is being grown. If you speed up the Todd White clip of him performing this miracle and you just play it back and forth, you can literally see what Todd White is doing. But a big part of faith healing isn't just tricks like this. In fact, a lot of it is rooted in a deeper part of who we are as people. By the end of Darren Brown's special, Nathan is able to perform in front of a small audience of believers. And you can see that he too is able to, with just the touch of his hand, bring people to fall back as though they were touched by God themselves. To understand how Nathan, who is an ordinary guy versus Benny Hinn, who claims to be able to perform miracles, can do what they're doing, you have to understand the power behind what they're creating in their shows. From the very moment it begins, you're joined by a crowd of people, united by a particular cause or belief. There are those in the crowd who are already in pain, who feel as though something is missing in their lives. When they're brought together, there is a sense of oneness, of wholeness and unity. Just think about how powerful crowds can be and what it's like to be in one, especially when you're all joined by a united cause. You're then brought into this hypnotic or more specifically a suggestible and open state. He wants to heal you because he loves you. You don't have to pay for it, just ask for it. The music rises and falls, stirring a wave of experiences and emotions amongst the crowd. Then you begin to create the expectancy for what is about to come. All things are possible to him that believeth. You keep the crowd in this heightened, aroused state of mind. And as the crowd is ripened for suggestibility, the faith healer acts almost like a conductor for the orchestra of experiences that people are going through. A leader amongst a crowd of people in a hypnotic, trance-like state is something that you cannot underestimate the psychological effect of. Then the healer begins preaching their message. But don't look for the healing, look for the healer. Whatsoever you shall ask, that will I do. The crowd is full of ecstasy, the joy in the audience is a deep feeling as though you're becoming a new person, you're connecting with that of which is above you. You expect that when the preacher lays their hand on you or shouts, you will feel God's touch with it. You've been suggested and primed to believe that that is the case. And in being so connected to the crowd around you, the effects of social conformity are bound to take place. In this trance-like state, you go along with what the preacher's suggestions are. You do what you are expected to do. It's no different to what a stage hypnotist does. You know, the more suggestible you are, the more belief you have, the easier it becomes. And what's even more interesting is that in this heightened state of emotions, of euphoria, of adrenaline, it's very possible to feel symptoms being alleviated. It's possible even for someone who is in a wheelchair to momentarily be able to get up and walk around. But what we are really witnessing is just a moment of mind over body. The placebo effect is a well-known phenomenon. It's when a patient's condition changes after receiving a treatment that by no means should have changed their condition. For example, if a patient expects a pill to do something and is told by their doctor that it'll help them, even if that pill is just a sugar pill that doesn't do anything, it is possible for your own brain chemistry to cause effects similar to what medication might have caused. The key word here is expect. 
because a placebo effect is mostly theorized to be caused by our expectations around a given treatment. Expectations that we derive from culture and society. That's why a placebo that is given as an injection rather than a pill can be more effective. Or when you're given two placebo pills to take every day rather than one, it can also be more effective. Because culturally, we perceive the latter of these treatments to have a bigger effect on us. That belief and expectancy can be so powerful as to have physiological effects on our body. And what more powerful expectation can somebody have than one that invokes their very own belief in a higher spiritual being like God surrounded by others who share that very belief? What we are seeing is a placebo. This is why you'll never see any miracle healer or somebody that believes in the law of attraction be able to do anything that is beyond a placebo. It's why you'll never see them be able to restore the limb of an amputee. And as I've watched your healing crusades, Am I seeing anything that goes beyond placebo? I've wondered why sometimes someone comes in and comes out of a wheelchair, and walks around, runs around, and hours later, they're back in that wheelchair again. The problem is, however, that those who attend the event and whose problems and illnesses are not healed at the event or return after the event start to blame themselves, that for some reason, God didn't want to heal them, that they didn't have enough faith. Remember Ash Neal from the HBO documentary? Seven weeks after attending Hin's miracle crusade, expect the miracle. he passed away. Do you feel in any way that Benny Hin has let you down? No. No. Did you ever, in some of your worst moments, think that you must have done something wrong in the eyes of God to deserve this? Yes. I know there's a generational curse. Maybe it originated from me or from my parents because that curse lasts for three or four generations. Who taught you that? I heard it from Pastor Benny. It doesn't square with the Bible at all. It's a complete scam. It's utter deception. Increase your faith, increase your seed, and store up for the future so that when these tragedies hit on earth, you will be spared. It is a deception to a degree that I don't think I've seen before. And you have to sit there and look at this all and wonder, surely there's justice to this story, right? Surely somebody takes the fall. Surely there's a happy ending to it. Surely. In September of 2019, Benny Hinn comes out with quite the astonishing announcement. And I'm sorry to say that prosperity has gone a little crazy. I think it's an offense to the Lord. It's an offense to say, give a thousand dollars. I think it's offense to the Holy Spirit to place a price on the gospel. I'm done with it. Benny Hinn had decided to leave the prosperity gospel. Hallelujah, <laughs> right? One of the best lessons that I could give to people is say, watch what they go back to. Watch what they give up and watch what they go back to. Okay, so it's time to give to the Lord's work. It's time to sow seed in the Lord's work so God can bless you and reward you. Now it's time to give to the Lord's work because giving guarantees our financial protection. The problem is, once you've generated the type of following and business and reputation that Hin has, changing your ways becomes almost impossible. And more so because I genuinely believe that most of these prosperity preachers, they're not intentionally malicious, they've deceived themselves. Even till today, I question, is this God or is this just me? The reality is that most of the preachers that we've mentioned in this video are continuing their operations today. And when they pass, there's gonna be a wave of new prosperity preachers ready to take their place. The message is an easy one to spread. It promises you health, wealth, and happiness. It makes you feel good. And what's not to love about that, right? Look at the comment section below and you're probably not gonna be hard pressed to find someone defending Hin or Copeland or the prosperity theology overall. You'll probably find people claiming that they have seen miracles happen or that by sowing their seed, prosperity really was given to them. And I'm not delivering any new message here. You know, prosperity theology receives a lot of criticism inside of Christianity and outside. Hey man, you know you're a piece of shit, right? <laughs> you know, right? 
Yet they'll still get away with their teachings because their message isn't for people who are cynical. It's really difficult to stop their more deceptive actions. The only thing you can do is go to those that believe in it and steer them away. And until that happens, the booming business of prosperity theology and faith healing will continue to flourish. I don't know what you feel about the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth and prosperity gospel, but I'll tell you what I feel about it, hatred. It is not the gospel. And it's being exported from this country to Africa and Asia, selling a bill of goods to the poorest of the poor. Believe this message, your pigs won't die. Your wife won't have miscarriages. You have rings on your fingers and coats on your back. That's coming out of America. The people that ought to be giving our money and our time. And our John Piper is just one of the many preachers and ministries that actively try and combat the prosperity gospel. And although Texas is home to some of the biggest megachurches, it's also home to the Trinity Foundation, a leading watchdog ministry founded by Oli Anthony that carries out investigations into some of the conducts of the biggest televangelists. It was Oli Anthony, founder of the East Dallas Homeless Ministry Trinity Foundation, who masterminded the investigation and helped expose some of the top televangelists in the country. You know, faith and religion are powerful things seeing the sense of hope that it can fill a person with, or, or the community and the purpose that it can inspire towards good causes. Now, I don't think anyone can look at those things on their own and, and say they're bad. A few months ago, I had burnt out from working. And when that happened, I felt very cynical about everything that I was doing. You know, what, what was the point? And what helped was having a sense of hope that those feelings would come to pass and finding purpose in what I was doing and spending time with my friends and family. Hope, purpose, and community. But hope, purpose, and community can be exploited. It can cloud your better judgment just because somebody dresses the part or sounds the part and invokes the word God. If you're somebody watching this that is a believer in the prosperity gospel, I invite you to think over and really question, could I be wrong? A healthy skepticism, I think, only motivates someone to find the truth, not drift further away from it. Seek and perhaps you will find it.